The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast. Kings podcast. I'm Nathaniel Darkish, and this is Max George. I thought, I thought I saw something out there in the podcast. Nathaniel, I am so glad we're talking about this movie. It's been a long time coming. Here we go. Okay, but before we get into movies, we have to introduce the third person in this virtual recording space. <gasps> dun dun dun! Plot twist. <laughs> That was amazing. Can we like use that for future episodes? Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna shamelessly bill for that. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, could 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 this mysterious ooing uh, voice introduce herself? For sure. My name is Willow Dawn Becker, and I'm a weirdie. We love weirdies. We are weirdies. Good. That is wonderful. Uh, yeah, I'm just. I'm a weirdie. I uh, like, um, you know, eating sugar-free ice cream, and I like um, cheerleading for fun and doing circus tricks, and sometimes I like watching someone's head fall off, and that's kind of what I do. Willow, you gotta say what your favorite ice cream is now. Oh, um, so I can only eat sugar-free ice cream, um, and I eat this stuff. It's called So Delicious, and I eat the chocolate chip mint, and it's so delicious. I actually ate the entire half pint. <laughs> Like right before I got on, so good. And that's and that's why she's exuding this. I know, uh, manic yeah. energy. No, no, it's not manic because there's no sugar, man. It's it's just it's all natural. It's all natural. Ah. <laughs> it is a hundred percent a mental disorder. This that's mania. Right. This is, is... I, that's right. It is a mental problem, but I accept that and I love that part of me. So that's that's fantastic, Willow. You are just. I mentioned this before we got on, but you're just exuding so much joy and just great energy. Aww. Sometimes Nathaniel and I, you know, we love horror. We get spooky. We get macabre. But having someone with your pizzazz is just really refreshing. <laughs> yeah, pizzazz, baby. I feel like that is something that uh, that I look for, you know, in life. I think especially in horror. You know, it's I am always looking for the weird gem that's like, it's scary, but it's also kind of hilarious. And I just love that. Like, that's my sweet spot. We, I just like the the combination of something that's actually scary and also actually funny uh yeah that's that's some of my favorite stuff in the world so well uh no wonder we're friends i know Um, i know what a blessing you know i'm gonna i'm gonna be frank here nathaniel you are very stoic and kind of professorial and i know very little about willow but the energy you are giving uh you two are like midsummer and hereditary giving me the same vibe but different energies this is great it's so funny it's funny like uh so nathaniel and i met at a at a at ltue at a con a few years ago this is like almost six years ago now Mm-hmm. And uh, we met in some ridiculous breakout. We're horror writers group, and uh, we we connected there. And then we ended up 
What? Oh, uh, I was just going to say, but, you know, what What was so funny is that, like, we were in this, you know, room full of, like, 30 people, and basically it was, like, you, me, and then uh, Rachel, who's uh, also been on the show several times, yeah. were, like, the only ones that, like, kind of vibed with each other, and yeah. and we just kept, like, we, we just, like, took over that whole room and Which... basically just kind of, you know... Yeah. It, it, immediately walked out of it and, and became we we're like we we're friends we're like oh, yep. yeah we're, we're together now it blows my mind because rachel gives me this impression that she's you know very esoteric very in mm-hmm. tune with spirituality and yeah. still a good time of course nathaniel you are that stoic professor just kind of brooding in the background not in a negative way and then willow you're just like this ball of energy so the combined three <laughs> Just is the Triforce of Horror, apparently. Oh, man, I'll tell you what. If you don't have, if, oh my gosh. Yeah, seriously. I think that you kind of have that, you have to have that kind of mix to really make things happen. And what I've found in my life is what I do is I find people, I attract people who are really talented and who are really driven or, uh, you know, they have big ideas and, and sometimes there are people who don't know quite how to execute those ideas. And I am really attracted to those people. And I think of myself as an engine. Like that's really what I do is I find people, I find what their dream is, and then I just energize their dream and hopefully like, like try to make that thing happen. I just love, like it really is my greatest love and joy in my life to make other people's dreams come true it's actually one of the reasons why i started my own press like i just i love making other people's dreams come true it makes me really happy that's really beautiful thank you for sharing yeah of course yeah yeah so i guess to 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 further the story along you know we we immediately formed a writing group Uh, unfortunately that ended up kind of fizzling out over time just because uh life happens covid happened like you know right after that as well yeah yeah covid and then, like, Rachel moved across the country, and, I don't know, just, you know, things went down, and that's how life goes. Um, but, you know, we, we stayed in touch, and, you know, I would re- uh, regularly reach out to, to Willow to say, hey, uh, I need to finish reading this short story that you were working on that ended up uh, getting in, into, like, full novella length. And, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, which, by the way, it's great. Uh Willow is a talented writer as well as uh, running her own press, which we'll get it into in a second. Yeah, um, I wanna, I wanna back y'all up, and I wanna hear about how Willow got into horror. I have a a sister who was a cheerleader. She did the pageant stuff, mm-hmm. and horror's not like her vibe. That's not really yeah. two worlds that you see colliding. So, <laughs> like, give us the origin story. Yeah, I know, right? Okay, so it's not. <laughs> not great i mean the 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 truth is that i was forced into horror at a very young age um and i don't know why in fact i have actually thought about this a lot because it doesn't really mesh very well with like my circles you know like anyway whatever i don't know like socially speaking i'm not the person who are like oh that seems like someone who's into horror you know um but when i was really young I had a series of very, very bad babysitters and um, my babysitters in their own special and unique way forced me into horror when I was really little. Like, I, 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 I love this already. <laughs> this is like 
This is quintessential growing oh, up in the nineties. This is wonderful. I know, I know it's it was horrible. I had like a like neighbor. Her sons were like like in their their teenagers, and I was like four or four like four. I was like four, and I came over and they grabbed me and they forced me to watch Poltergeist. Like they held me down and forced me to watch Poltergeist, and it ruined me. Like it ruined me. And I my mom, I told my mom this like a, like a year ago, and she's like. Oh, I remember you. You had nightmares. You you would wake up and you would start you would scream about Jello in the bathtub. And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah! Yeah! It's because they made me watch this movie when I was a tiny child." And I saw Evil Dead when I was 5. Same thing. Babysitter refused to let me leave the room. I'm like, "I don't want to watch this." She's like, "We're watching this as a family." And I'm like, "What family watches Evil Dead together?" I mean, Around the television. To be fair, I know not a better family film than <laughs> Evil Dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just a group Laura. of friends coming together to have a camping trip in the middle of nowhere. Raped by a tree. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Um, yeah, and then uh, and then when I was eight, I had another babysitter. But by that time, I had already been t- completely screwed up. And and so she, uh, she'd come over and babysit, and then she would let me stay up and watch Freddy's Horrors. Do you remember Freddy's night oh Freddy's nightmares it was a uh, it this this will age me but this was a this was a show that was on after like 11 o'clock at night on Saturday night and it was a horror anthology that was narrated and hosted by Freddy Krueger because who's a better MC yeah seriously it was and it was terrifying and I still like it's funny because they're all of those all of that, that entire show, every episode is actually available on YouTube now. So I've gone back and watched the ones that really messed me up. And I'm like, no, this is really terrible. This is really terrifying still. Yeah, this is still scary. <laughs> this still holds up. This still holds up, yeah. So what would you say then your your favorite horror has has turned into, I guess? My favorite horror, like my favorite horror movie, novel, book. Uh, whatever you story. interpret that to be, yeah. Well... For whatever reason, um, I, and I, I don't even know why, but I have um, I have been incredibly attracted to short horror. Like, I love short horror, like with a burning, burning passion. And so, when people are like, "What's your favorite, you know, horror novel?" Well, I can tell, tell you the, what the scariest horror novel is, which is Pet Cemetery. It's the scariest novel ever. Um, but as far as like like my favorite horror movie, I is the descent obviously and then um and and i actually watch that pretty i watch that like maybe once a month like i watch it's like my comfort movie like i watch it a lot i watch Um, the exorcist when i'm feeling sad so (laughs) i get it i get it yeah there you go my husband he uh like every christmas he watched the shining he's like Mm. it's my christmas movie and i'm like Okay. <laughs> Guys, sure, we have found sure. our people. We have yeah. literally just found our people right <laughs> I here. Know, I know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but but I loved short short fiction and so um I really like from a really young age, I really started really being into horror short anthological television shows. So, I have seen um and 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 like I have reviewed every episode of Night Gallery. I have seen every episode of Twilight Zone, both the original and the 1983-84, I think, is when it came out, version. I have not seen the new one, and that makes me sad because I didn't want to pay for Paramount. But, um, 
but yeah, like I, I watch horror anthology, anthological um, television like crazy. Like I love it. Uh, all the Twilight Zone, all the Tales from the Dark Side, Tales from the Crypt. Like um, the only one that I haven't seen and it makes everybody sad is um, American Horror Story uh, because it doesn't quite fit into what I am, what I love, which is I want a short piece of fiction. I want a short 30 minute piece of fiction uh, in television show. Uh, yeah. To be honest, you're not missing a whole lot. Ryan oh, Murphy, yeah. okay. Okay. Ryan yeah. Murphy does pretty good in the beginning, but then he goes down the swirly side of insanity, and it just starts <laughs> not to make sense at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about to say, oh, oh, I, I thought that that you were going to say that you didn't do it because um, you you like you know shows that actually have a, a cohesive plot and you know story <laughs> structure and yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I kind of find that the short, um, the short structure, a Black Mirror, uh, a lo- I loved, I, oh my gosh, so good. Um, I love the short structure. I feel like it allows for a lot of, um, a lot of creative, you know, f- you know, it's like an, a smorgasbord of creativity. And so you, you you can have different directors with different visions, different tones and art direction. Everything can be its own individualized short film, which is, I think, an underused medium. I think they're wonderful. I think that they um, are fantastic. And, um, and I love having that cohesive plot in a short uh, fiction where, like you said, you don't have to have 75 minutes of world building and magic structures and all this garbage you can just have a great set of characters doing a great awesome set of things and then you get to move on and you get to eat another piece of bite-sized fiction it's really just candy it's just candy well and i think sometimes too horror it can lose its momentum if you aren't punchy enough Mm -hmm. there has to be a story that is delivered but if it's done too quickly or too slowly it loses a lot of that gravitas. Yeah. And yeah. The, sh- the short story I- I'm coming to understand is-, is a lot more potent than I thought mm. perhaps before. So And, and a lot sharing. harder to, to pull off, I think. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a true. good point. That's a good point. To do it, I think to do it well, it's very difficult. I think that people say, oh, I'm going to make a short. I mean, I think that even filmmakers, I'm going to make a short film, you know, and but once you get into the short film, you're still doing an awful lot of editing and you're still doing an awful lot of shots and reshots. You know, there's a lot of there's still produ- a lot of production that goes into it. As, clearly not as much as a full full feature or uh, for a writer, a full put po- a full book. But to do a short well, you have to know where all the internal beats are. You have to have a really strong sense of the character. You have to have a really good understanding of economy of words economy of words right you have to know how to make the words do multiple things at the same time and um and in short film you have to know when to use words and when not to use words especially in horror oh my gosh and i'm sure you guys have talked about that before but uh in short in short film in long film but in film generally economy of words uh, in horror i think is so valuable because there is time in every horror film where you want nothing to be said you want there are there sometimes there just has to be space so I, it's just i don't know i i am also coming from i'm an actress too and so um i've actually been involved in a number of horror short films and horror features and so um it's it's really interesting to see kind of how those two worlds connect and 
yeah, it's 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 really exciting. What is your favorite piece of of short horror, whether that's a short story or a single episode of one of these anthology series? What what is your favorite? Oh man, that is such a hard question. Um, it really it really depends on. Boy, it really depends on how you want to feel when you're done, okay? So that's really what it's about because um, I think that short fiction has this opportunity to pack, to pack such a massive punch. One of the things, um, one, of the, one of the pieces that really jumps out at me is a, a, a piece that was done in Black Mirror uh, in the first season, I think. I think it was the first season. Um, and that episode is called Shut Up and Dance. Now, um, they actually got a um, Emmy nomination for um, San Juanapero. Called, it's called San Juanapero. It's not horror. It's more science fiction, that one. But it, it's really, really good. But they didn't get an Emmy nomination for um, Shut Up and Dance. But that is a phenomenal piece of fiction. And it is horrible. Like in the most deep and true way it is one of the most horrible pieces of fiction i've ever seen isn't that the one with uh the the teenage boy getting all of these instructions okay yes Mm -hmm. yeah no that one's deeply messed up yeah it is it's truly horrible and i think what's truly horrible about and you know what i actually can't talk about it because it will spoil that episode so if you've never seen it and you really want to feel terrible when you're done then you should (laughs) (laughs) then you should go and see it uh because it, but it's, it has it has all of the elements that I love um, about a piece of fiction. I think another great piece of fiction, uh, and this one's not short, but I do love it, is The Village um, by M. Night Shyamalan. Um, Shyamalan? I don't know. Shyamalan. Anyway, that's a, great, that's a great piece. I really love that. And most people hate it. Most horror people hate it because it's set up to be one thing. And then it becomes something different halfway through. And I love that. I actually love that. I love having the rug ripped out from underneath me. I'm fine with something turning from a horror, a horror movie into a romance. I, I, I loved it. But most people who are really deep in horror hate that movie. You know, I, I think it's one of Shyamalan's greatest works, if I'm honest. I think after that, he went kind of downhill. Yeah. Lady in the Water. Ugh. Oh, we don't talk about Lady of the Water. <laughs> or, or The Happening. Or, right. I mean, I yeah. 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 Uh, but I can see where you're coming from. I remember very vividly the first time I saw The Village, and there's the plot twist, and you're just like, wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> the, the call is coming from inside the house kind of no! thing. And, and it, it has power, and I can see how it would be very unnerving for people. Yeah. You know, like, um, horror is subjective. Yeah, I well, I think that the, I think really the problem that people had was um that they signed up for something different. They they yeah, signed they wanted up, a monster movie. Yeah, they signed up for a monster movie, and um and and then it, when it was billed that way, and, but that's the way it had to. That's the way it had to be billed to make it work. And you could say like you could you could step back and say well. The problem was that the twist came too early. You can't have the twist as your midpoint. You know, you can't have your twist as your midpoint. Otherwise, you spend the next half of the movie under the the reality of the situation, and it just it becomes boring for people. But I don't think so. I think that that's a fantastic example of a movie that you have the twist at the middle, you have the midpoint is a completely perfect midpoint, and then 
you shift all of the motivations of every character um and they're still valid they're still va there's still valid motivations she has valid impetus to to move forward and there's still valid conflict it just becomes not man against a uh, monster but man against self man man against nature and i don't think there's anything wrong with that but there are people who really dis disagree well, and it, I mean, we all live in Utah here, right? And we can mm -hmm. kind of portray it to high demand religion. It's not just the physicality of a monster, but perhaps the psychology and the religiosity yeah. of a monster that yeah. haunts us in the night that we want to escape yes. from, but maybe can't. Mm -hmm. um, and that sounds very esoteric. And <laughs> let's... <laughs> We've kind of gone far afield on this one. <laughs> it's, it's okay. That's what I love about this, this podcast is that we can. That's but nice. let's, but let's uh, maybe shift gears here a little bit and talk about the movie that we would like to discuss. Wait, wait, Willow. wait, wait, wait. <gasps> oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what? 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 We haven't talked anything about Weird Little World's Press. We, oh. could, we could talk about it later. Or I, we could I, talk about it now. But yeah. I have a press, and, it, and it's great. And uh, it's called Weird Little World's Press. It is here in Utah. And uh, it's like this hidden gem of black scariness i don't know it's uh I, that's not real it, it it we we are a genre fiction press we do horror science fiction fantasy and adventure novels and we're in our we're coming up on our third year of being in of being a press and we have had some uh some good success and i am really excited about the future so um well so i i i can speak to Two of your three publications, I, or because you you put out three books so far, right? Yes, we have three print books, and we have five books total. Six books, if you count the coloring book. Ah, yes, and you should. <laughs> yeah. Six books. Six books. Okay, um, but but yeah, so in in the uh, horror realm specifically, um, you know we. Uh, got two anthologies. Hey, how appropriate! We were just talking about short fiction. Oh, what a crazy random happenstance! Yeah, that is weird. a crazy random happenstance. Yeah, weird, weird that you would choose to to make horror anthologies. Um, <laughs> but but both of these anthologies are pretty freaking awesome. I haven't read enough of uh, the first anthology yet. I am going to remedy that. Um, but I've read most of the, the second anthology. So the first anthology was uh, Humans Are the Problem, um, and yeah, you came right out of the gate with, with that mm -hmm. um, and got all sorts of awesome horror writers that I... Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. it was like a dream come true. I, I don't... I seriously... Uh, I, I, I don't really know why, uh, why I have been so blessed. I can only imagine that... Um, I don't know. Maybe God's a horror fan. I don't really understand how it all works, <laughs> but um, but yeah, we had some incredible um, and inc some incredible writers for that first anthology. Uh, humans are the problem, which is hilarious because humans are the problem, and so it's a it's a monsters anthology written from monsters and monster advocate perspectives. So humans are typically in this anthology the um the problem and the uh, antagonist, and the monsters are the ones who are telling the stories or 
um, the monsters are shown in their best light. So, um, yeah, so it's great. And we got some fantastic writers like Gabino Iglesias and Lisa Morton. Um, we had uh, John just, oh, Philip Fricasse. Whoa, his story is so good in that. Uh, if you haven't read the Aquarium Diver story, that one is really good. It's one of my favorites. And then Gemma Files, actually, um, her story called Butcher, Poor Butchered Bird, her story ended up in Ellen Datlow's Best Horror of the Year anthology, which is kind of like the quintessential compilation. Hel- Ellen actually reads every single piece of short fiction in the horror community every year. And so um, she picks the top like 12 or 15 and she puts them in her, her final anthology for the year. And so she picked um, Gemma's story for this last year. Um, and that was that was kind of a pe- feather in our cap. We were so excited that, that we were able to help with that. Yeah. And then uh, this second anthology, Mother Tales of Love and Terror. Oh, yeah. Um, I, 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 I have to say, I stared at the cover for probably, I don't know, a minute, maybe, Nathaniel, when you showed me it. It was just, I don't know, so compelling. <laughs> that's awesome i love hearing that that's great yeah we got this phenomenal artist uh out of ukraine actually who uh, was able to make that art for us before everything kind of shut down over there oh man that anthology i have to tell you i am very very proud of i'm i'm proud of it i'm proud of uh christy who is my co um my co my co-editor on that and Michael Clough actually helped me with the first anthology. He was great, too. But Christy, uh, she is amazing. She's actually a fantastic writer in her own right. She has just released a Bulo, uh that was released last year, and that's actually up for a Bram Stoker Award this year. She's on the long list for, for best, new, um, best, best New Novel. So <clears throat> she's amazing. And then we had incredible writers. John Langan came back. Brian Evanson, who also um, grew up here in Utah. And, uh, of course, we had Gemma come back. Um, we had Donye Coles, Haley Piper, who won a Stoker last year, uh, Ai Jong, Christina Singh. Like, really a ton of fantastic writers. Then some great new writers like Katie McIver and um, Patrick. Oh, no, Patrick Barb was last last year. But, um, like, Elizabeth, Elizabeth McClellan, who's one of our poets. Um and uh, Victoria Nations, another one of our poets. Uh, just we just had just phenomenal, both uh, really established writers and also a bunch of really fantastic new writers. It was we had over six hundred um, submissions, so we were really pleased. We got some great work, and uh, it was hard to turn a lot of those stories away. Though I played my own part in in helping turn those stories away when I read some slush for you. Oh, that's that is true. You did, huh? That means you <laughs> got, that means you got one of our packages or one of I, our our care I, packages. I did. It is it is sitting right next to me right now. Oh, actually, yay! Wow, <laughs> I didn't get one. That's cool. Aww. Well, well, you didn't read slush. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't read slush. <laughs> yeah, we had we it was a, it was amazing. I've never managed that many slush readers before. We had something like twenty five readers, uh, and we did we do three rounds of slush reading. So anyway, I know this is totally off topic, but it is such a massive project to 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 really do it because we do read those stories at least three times. They always get read at least three times. And um, and then the final stories, they get read by um, they get they get read like six or seven or eight times. Like they just get read and read and read and read until we are sure what we want, what we want to do. So. Amazing. 
Yeah, and uh, that works pay, uh, seems to be paying off because it's also on the Stoker ballot that just came out uh, the other day. And it's true, yeah, that's the long list now. It's not the short list, so you you have to be careful because it is a the it's called the preliminary ballot, which means that they took the top ten of every category, and then what they'll do in February is they'll take they'll whittle it down to the final nominations, and that is the top five. So we are up against some really great work right now like the ohio anthology i think made it on the top 10 um human monsters which is sadie hartman um uh, her book is on there um of course ellen datlow has uh, an anthology she i think she wins every year so <laughs> it's really hard to compete in short fiction because ellen is really good and we all know it you know it's always it, it, i hope i'm having you know just pray for yeah. us I mean, <laughs> but also give credit where credit is due, regardless if it's a preliminary list or not. Like, yeah, that's an achievement in and it of is. itself. It, it really is. It and really you should is. be proud, you know? No, plus, I, I am. I am. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah, yeah, it is awesome. Yeah, plus one of the stories is also on just the best short story list, too. So. Yes, it is. Mercedes. Oh, boy. Mercedes M. Yardley has a story in Mother called Fracture. And it is wonderful. And um, by the time you hear this podcast, it will be available on our website uh, and you'll be able to read it for free. It's very, very good. It's really touching. Uh, and it, the first line is, my mother married a man made of glass. And that's all you need to know. So it's, it's really that. good. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, and then also you just, you know, dropped a novel of your own just oh. uh, like what, a month ago. So. Yeah, in December. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a, a little, it's a, it's a little aside. It's like kind of on this like sideways. It's a science fiction horror, but it is more science fiction than horror. Um, but there's definitely parts where uh, people take their own bodies apart, you know, like it, it's, it's definitely definitely got some moments that are going to be a problem but I, I i it looks like it's not a problem in such a way that people are so grossed out that they want to put it down that was kind of like the goal is we have a our press is a pg-13 press so it kind of like um you know kind of like watcher in the woods we want it to be scary we want it to be maybe scarier than that movie but we want it to be scary but uh, we also want it to be accessible for people who don't think that they like horror so scary, intense, makes you feel uncomfortable, but then you, then it's okay. You don't feel like garbage when you're finished reading it, right? You don't want you don't want to feel bad when you're done. So yeah, so Lido's Children is our science fiction horror, and that was released in December, and it's awesome. It will make you laugh, and it will make you feel um, terrible, and it will also make you cry. And then it will make you feel good. And I can also uh, say good things about it because I have read that one. And oh, you it have? It's very good. Yes. Oh, that's so cool. You're the best. I'm sorry. <laughs> when my friends drop a book, I buy it immediately. Oh, you are the best, Nathaniel. Oh, my gosh. You're the best. So uh, everyone should also pick that up. Or yeah. Just pick up all of these books. They're all great. Yeah, they're all great. Oh, and you know what? They're all on sale right now. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. So, like, if you go, like, they're all on sale. If you go to my website, if you go to weirdlittleworlds.com, you can get um, Mother, like, $5 off. And, it, it like, from Amazon. It's cheaper than Amazon if you go to dive at, the, at the website. And then if you get uh, Lido's Children, it's free on Kindle Unlimited right now. And then it's two ninety nine for the ebook. Um, and Mother, uh, the ebook is not on sale. But, uh, so I lied about that. But it's pretty great anyway. So go get it. Well, all of very due promotion aside, 
Let's talk about a movie, Watcher in the Woods from 1980. Something happened in these woods. Something that has never been explained. And it's happening again. Now. Did you hurt yourself? Oh, it's just a little cut. What sort of person are you? Sensitive? Do you sense things? The past pursues the present like a recurring dream. What began as a game ended when a young girl vanished into thin air. I think this is our first Disney movie to yes! be covered on on the show. I think We're... it is probably the only Disney Disney movie being <laughs> able to be on the show, Nathaniel. That's true. Oh my gosh, they were crazy. I don't know what they were thinking. I, I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking. You know, like this was such a weird foray for them because they did this one and then they did um, the one about the weird, scary pirate was like Bluebeard or you guys know what I'm talking about. There was like a super scary uh, there, there's a, like a section of time in the in the late 70s, early 80s and then maybe into the 90s when they tried out like four or five horror movies Disney did. And it was weird. Um, I, I don't have any idea what you're talking about with this pirate movie but i mean i guess kind of of a similar vein would be like escape to witch mountain and its sequel i yeah, i was right. i was obsessed with those as a kid holy cow there, yeah. it was called the 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 googity googity giggity googity oh my gosh you guys this is gonna destroy me it sounds this like you're gonna... quagmire from family guy <laughs> oh you know what I am going to figure it out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure it out because it was really, really weird. I met somebody who brought it up and I was like, that's the movie. It's like it's been it's been retconned. It like doesn't exist anymore. It's I'm going to find it for you. I promise. I, I, I feel like it is in this weird, like dark age of Disney where it was before, you know, the classical Disney's, the Little Mermaid's, the Aladdin's. But mm-hmm. then it was coming out of Sleeping Beauty and Snow White and they. They didn't really know where to go. Mm-hmm. And Disneyland was really just starting to blossom. And the company was kind of up and down financially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they were just trying to put their hands in every single pot that they possibly could. It's true. I think they were just fitting. Like, um, they, I, just did, I didn't know this, but I just, I just saw this. They also put out Something Wicked This Way Comes. Oh yeah, around that same time, which which is a really that's a really that's a really interesting movie. Like it's real, I really like it, and I thought it was really scary too. Um, That's a that's a really interesting one. I love the book. I I keep meaning to watch the movie, but it's hard to find. Yeah, that so it's an eighty three, but that's a really good one. What was this one called? Oh my gosh, Um, something ghosting. I just yeah, I'm gonna find out. Don't worry. Okay. Anyway, yeah. But um, yeah, they it was it was weird, and they but Disney has always had a little. I personally think Disney has always had a little bit of a dark side. Um, at least they did, especially in the War Years. Like, um, man, I'll tell you what, Dumbo. I that is a scary movie. I think Disney Dumbo's scary is pretty low key horror. Yeah, if you if you strip back a lot of the family values that they're yeah. trying, to, well, the heteronormative family values that mm-hmm. they are throwing on us. They're kind of edgy. They really have been pushing a lot, I think, in the media. And Disney is so huge. I mean, I'm a Disney file. 
uh, I, I really love the company and I think they do a lot of good work. Uh, they're not perfect, of course. Mm-hmm. Everyone has their shit. Mm-hmm. But I, I really think there are some core aspects of Disney that really push against the grain a little bit. You think of mm-hmm. the Haunted Mansion or Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. They really are kind of on this, this threshold of being spooky. You know, my, my daughter... If you say it's scary, she won't be into it. But if you say it's spooky, then she's like, oh, okay, I can do that. Yeah, yeah. And and Disney does that really, really well. And I think Watcher in the Woods in particular is a movie that excels in this quite phenomenally. It's not perfect. No. But it it really kind of has that nostalgia and that, oh, kind of that that flavor of the time for what family-friendly horror felt like and looked like yeah. like it it was poltergeist without the scare right it it was et it was this uh-huh. this yeah. moment that really awakened a lot of people to the horror world yeah yeah and and that's definitely you know what they were competing against right like you know these spielberg early ventures and stuff like that you know gremlins all of that kind of stuff was kind of coming out at around the same time you know, give or take a couple of years. And so, yeah, like, it makes sense that they would be wanting a, a slice of that pie. Obviously, I think it, it didn't work out for them as uh, successfully as uh, some of these other big companies. But, um, you know, it they they eventually, you know, ha- have, I think, started kind of dipping their to- toe back in more recently. But hmm. Yeah, I uh, it's a... It's interesting to to think of them as being maybe not 100%, I don't know, maybe solvent's the wrong word, but like you were saying before, you know, um, just not really knowing how to compete. You know, you have things like the Goonies and you've got like, you know, all of these kind of kid-centric, scary, scary things that came out kind of in that late, uh, late 70s, early 80s. This was like, you know, this was, this was... This was the great golden age of horror films. It really, it really was. You know, like the late 70s and the early and the early 80s, that was it. That was the time. That was the moment when horror really exploded. And um and Disney wanted to cash in, I think. And so here we have here we have Watcher in the Woods where they get the best scary lady ever. They get effing Betty Davis to be in this right? movie. Oh my right? gosh, like seriously, how what how you can't get better than that. She was so good. I mean, this was this was right it wasn't right after, but the she had done she's you know, she was already such an icon in horror. She had done all of these fantastic movies where she played this murderess. She played some scary villain. She was in um, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which was really one of the best horror films of the 60s and 70s. And, and just like so a fun. mind a mind bend, for yeah, lack of yeah. a better word, right? Oh, yeah, like the four-letter sure. F word that I'm thinking. Yes, like, absolutely. Yeah, what? totally. Yeah, yeah. So, so great. But the fact that they, they that she had they have her headlining in this is amazing right and then i think another really great thing that they did here oh i don't know if i should should i should go on i should probably stop i have so much but <laughs> anyway no 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 keep going keep going well i think that the other thing that they did that was really great here is that they hired a bunch of nobodies to be in this movie and i think that people were so much better i think that movie houses specifically were so much better about doing that with horror um like texas chainsaw massacre you know that movie doesn't doesn't work if you have 
have people in that movie who everybody knows. It only works if you hire locals, which is what they did. You know, they went some down in the middle of nowhere and they hired nobodies to be in that movie. And it's the same thing here. They hire, uh, you know, some random kids and then Betty Davis. And it works. Betty, Betty Davis haunted my childhood for years oh, yeah. uh, because of this film. I just was <laughs> yeah. absolutely spooked by her portrayal. Yeah, she's scary. Like, she's a scary lady. But I, I think I think that the part of this movie that scared me so much was this, uh, I mean, I don't know it, how else you can avoid it. But this this concept of being trapped inside of a mirror, of having... A ghost inside of the mirror who's like blind like just it's just so scary especially if you're like you know eight nine ten which is how old I was when I saw this movie so and I showed it to my kids and they thought it was terrifying like <laughs> I showed it to my 12 year old and my uh, my four-year-old and they they thought it was terrifying and they played Karen like the gate, like the pretend game. We played Karen in our house for like the next three months after I watched this movie with them. Hmm. And my daughter's like, let me be Karen this time. And then we would play and we would play the whole we'd play the whole plot. We'd play the whole movie out. She'd be like, oh, no, the bell is falling. You know, anyway. So we just like. Neric, Neric. Neric. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, crazy. And then, of course, we'll talk, I'm sure, about the false uh, or the second ending on this movie. But yes, um, so much. Uh, well, one one thing that I, I find so interesting and, and this is kind of you know, getting in, just jumping straight into the ending, which we've already kind of done a little bit, but is that like there's this weird kind of moment in time where we had a lot of these kind of like ghostly, occulty kind of movies. Uh, and and books and and stories and stuff that all ended up having like a, an alien uh, twist to it. Mm-hmm. You know the the other one that comes to mind is is Escape to Witch Mountain, which mm-hmm. I mentioned I was obsessed with as a child. Right. Um, but yeah, like I don't know what it is that that you know this kind of like UFO alien kind of thing tying it into like the the ghostly was such a like brief cultural zeitgeist. But I, I, I enjoy that because uh, I love a lot of good alien stories and I love a lot of good ghost stories. And so kind of giving me a, a thing that delivers on both is really fun. Mm-hmm. This is a, a complete kind of guess here. But I, I wonder if Disney, when they were kind of approaching horror, they wanted to stay out of kind of the paranormal supernatural realm, you know, the occultism, the Wicca, the demons, yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada, mm-hmm. and wonder if the alien twist was a way for them to kind of bring it back to that family-friendly motif of Mm -hmm. here is something ghosty and that's really spooky, but just kidding, they're aliens and everything's okay. Um, (laughs) Just a a thought I I had, right? I think think that's right. I think that's correct. Yeah, that's that's probably why they were drawn to to these books, right? Like, because this is based on a book that came out, I don't know, four years before the the movie did. you know, same name. It's by Florence Engel Randall, and I read the Wikipedia page about it. Um, and yeah, like that is the twist of of the book too. Um, and it apparently gets way more into like what it's like to be on the alien dimension side of things, and how I guess like fifty years on Earth is one day over there, and mm-hmm. all sorts of weird stuff. But yeah, like I, I wonder if that was kind of the thing that they were hunting for was, hey, what what's something that's that's spooky and and 
you know eerie but is going to not you know get uh people uh pointing satanic panic fingers at us yeah we we have to remember too that we landed on the moon in 1969 and this movie came out in the 80s i think 1980 exactly Mm -hmm. yeah and so you know space and the the final frontier was was very on the forefront of a lot of Americans. And Disney himself was kind of a revolutionary when it came to space exploration. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you go to Disneyland or Disney World, and space exploration is just a huge component of the Disney zeitgeist that we are going through. Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think you're right on on that. I think that the concept of aliens is so much less offensive <laughs> to uh, a starstruck nation than the concept of ghosts. Um, I do think it's really interesting, though, you know, speaking about that kind of the the gut, the knee jerk re- desire to pull away from the supernatural. I find it very interesting that in, you know, was the early 90s, then they released the, um, oh, my gosh, you know, the one with Bette Midler. <laughs> you know, that one. Focus, focus. Yeah, Hocus the Hocus, Pocus. They, ho- they, they released Hocus Pocus. Um, and they, they keep it pretty light still. But in this most recent re- iteration of this, they actually really leaned in to the witchcraft. They like really yeah. leaned, le- they leaned deeply in. For like, sure. They're and like. Like millennial witchcraft too. Not like this yes, weird, like right. esoteric, oh, this is old yep. spinster witchcraft. It no, was this like, like we're crystals. doing Wiccan. Yes. Yeah, so this is Wiccan practice. This is a spiritual and religious practice. And we're going to lean deep into it and it was really interesting to watch that transition right like because in 1980 where we are here we're going to get away it was far away from a seance or whatever we we'll do it we'll do it but but it's not really a seance it's an alien we're calling aliens guys we're not calling evil spirits and then you know fast forward to 2000 you know 2021 when they're like we're going to go ahead and do a summoning circle now. and <laughs> Yeah, we're well, going to go to a, a sacred yeah. forest and banish the, the evil from this forest. Okay, I guess that's what we're going to do now. <laughs> so Disney has changed a little bit, I think. Yeah, quite a bit, quite a bit. Um, yeah. And, and I, I really did, though, appreciate a lot of the occultism in Watcher in the Woods. Uh, Willow, you, d- you probably don't know, but I am a, a super fan of anything related to occultism. Oh. Um, Alistair Crowley, tarot cards, runes, yeah. demonology, grimoires. I have a lot of very powerful grimoires in my library that could summon the apocalypse if I wanted. Um, Don't do that. We, we maybe read a spell to summon a demon in our third episode, which hey, I blame don't. for most of our uh, tech problems since then. It, it's fine. He, he lives in my house and I, I pay the rent, so he understands this relationship. Oh <laughs> but you be careful about all that. I'm going to have them uh, girls from Hocus Pocus showing up at your house. and oh, oh, We would have a blast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed a lot of the symbolism that they used in Watcher in the Woods. Whoever kind of was the set design and the special effects really understood occultism. Uh, there are a lot of triangles, which are very powerful of elemental magic when it comes to occultism. Mirrors, of course, are, are very prolific in any sort of supernatural kind of events. They're viewed as windows into the unknown or the other side or, or different dimensions. Uh, and then, of course, there are so many fae concepts, you know, fairy circles mm-hmm. and the right. forests and, and even the Watcher himself, regardless if he's an extraterrestrial being. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and I used uh, masculine pronouns. The Watcher can definitely be female or non-binary. Uh, it it is female in the book. <laughs> oh, is it? That's funny. 
all of this it's very related to this kind of subtle occultism that i think disney was trying to to poke and provoke mm-hmm. uh, but again of course then it it switches to alien and you're just like oh okay we're aliens now it's cool it's all right <laughs> interdimensional aliens but let's not talk about the pentagrams you know and the, the right, triangles right. And, and all of this other stuff going on so yeah very interesting um, and, and I have to say, um, one of the things that really worked for me in this movie is just how jarring that image of Karen blindfolded popping up randomly in mirrors all over the place, especially in like in the, the hall of the, mirrors. Yeah, the, yeah, the carnival. Yeah, I agree. I, I seriously, I think that the imagery is so strong. I, it was so strong that it stuck with me for years. I mean, like it, it was 20 years before uh, I was like, Man, the internet's so cool. I wonder if I could find what that movie was. And that's amazingly, I was able to track it down based on um, the fact that I had remembered the the title of the movie. But it was, you know, the internet's magical. But it was so cool that that imagery kind of forwarded me all through all that the two decades. It was like this. That was so like it was so really you know interesting and and scary to me as a young person to have a cracked mirror and have there be a, a an image that wasn't my own in it that's that's terrifying i mean those are the things that i wanted to talk about that i liked because to to be perfectly uh honest and candid um i i had seen the movie once when uh max made me watch it yeah uh, in his mother's basement uh years ago uh and then uh, I watched it just a couple of days ago, and as soon as I was done with it, I walked into the room where, where my wife was, I don't know, watching Gilmore Girls or something, and I was like, uh, that movie was not very good. <laughs> so I have lots of thoughts about things I don't like about it and, and problems I have like with the story, but you chose this title, and I, I know that you love this movie. I so. <laughs> Are there more things that you want to talk about uh, on the... Before you start ripping it apart? Yes. Um, <laughs> right. Build, build up that, that uh, foundation a little bit more no, before I, I think, take a sledgehammer. I think that what you should do is you should start ripping into it, and I will just counterpoint you. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's Nathaniel's <laughs> favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I do have to say, before we, you know, do start to, you know, castrate it, for lack of a better term, <laughs> um, it... It has a sense of nostalgia for me that I hold very dear to my heart. It's one of my mother's favorite films. That's why I showed it to Nathaniel that one time. And I I, I think this film, along with a few others like E.T. and even Goonies and, you know, Mm. yada, 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 holds a special place for us as children. yes. Because Betty Davis was so scary. And the story was so... It was... Weird. It it was a... a chance for kids to participate in the horror of adults mm-hmm. while still staying safe and mm-hmm. um you know within those boundaries that grown-ups always have to put on children and so i i joked earlier that i when i i look at watcher in the woods i'm wearing bifocals right yeah. i i have my my nostalgia lenses up front but then when i put my eyes down i i have those critic lenses mm-hmm. so let's let's all hold some space that this movie is foundational for it children is. and is. giving them horror seeds that eventually blossom into horror flowers. I totally agree. In fact, I still 
I still suggest this movie to people who are not horror fans, but who want to see something that's a little scary. And, um, and I think that that's actually, a, I think that's a really important place. Like someone, I, I have read a lot of horror now. I've seen a lot of horror. I've, I have absorbed a lot of horror content in my life. Um, but there are lots of people who never have and who really believe that they don't like horror. They really believe that. But the fact is, is that they are wrong. Everyone likes horror. Everybody likes it. it it's just that you need to find the part, the, the part or the type of horror that connects at the place where you feel most comfortable. It, just like you were saying, no one wants to get on a roller coaster that doesn't have any brakes and that is very much going to smash into the side of a building. No one wants to get into that roller coaster because it's dangerous and it makes you feel like you're in danger because you are in danger. But what you want to do is you want to get on a roller coaster that's been ridden a lot of times that is specifically designed to, you know, be kind of exciting but not so exciting that you feel really like you're going to die. And I think that that's really where this one works for, for a lot of people. It is scary. It is unnerving. It is tense. It does give you all those wonderful horror feelings without putting you into any kind of emotional, spiritual, physical, mental danger, right? Like you feel like you've had an adventure when you're done. You don't feel like you want to kill yourself. Yeah, and and horror is subjective, of course. As horror yeah. critics, we can approach a movie like The Exorcist or The Shining, you know, these iconic films that really defined the genre. Mm -hmm. But we have to give space for those gateway horror movies that yeah. allowed us to embrace the dark mm -hmm. and kind of titillate ourselves um, and poke that horror bear. So. Yeah. With all that said, Nathaniel, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the first thing is that this movie is dead boring. Um, <laughs> it, it, it takes a while. You're right. You're right. Like, okay, it, there, are, there are these great moments that like really pull me in, as I've mentioned. And then there are 25-minute gaps where nothing happens that is meaningful at all. And it's just, like, kids walking around a field. And I'm like, <laughs> why is this shot this long? There is no reason that the shot is this long. They're just, uh, it just it feels like it's a movie that they had 45 minutes of, of good, interesting content for, but they wanted it to make it 90 minutes, and so they... They found ways to pad the runtime. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, right off the bat, just kind of is, is my first kind of big, big qualm is that when, it, when it, I was engaged, I was having a, a, an okay time. I, again, I'm going to get this, some of the story issues I had. But when it wasn't those moments, I was so bored it was it took like all of my self-control to not just like play you know some dumb game on my phone or something because i just uh the it, it's it's um very very slow when it's slow i just i just have a thought nathaniel that i kind of want to run by you and see what you think here. yes i know for a fact your mother may she be blessed in this life and the next because she knows me and I can feel her staring at me as I say these words. <laughs> um, 
I know she kind of censored your ability to watch horror. Yes. Um, you had to do a lot of it in secret. Uh, and there were some, you know, kind of levels. I, I won't put words into your mouth, but sometimes maybe shame or guilt about watching horror, let's say, you know? Mm -hmm. With these um, kind of iconic horror movies, you don't like Hocus Pocus. You didn't love Watcher in the Woods. Do you think... You know, you didn't get that nostalgia blossom when you were a kid watching these films, and so perhaps you are a little more aggressive in your critiques because because you don't have that just love and joy for them. Uh, okay, well, so... neither neither is wrong. I, I just had this thought as I was listening to you. You know, okay, uh, I I see where you're coming from because you are coming from the uh, to this you know from a, a very nostalgic place. Um, you know, it, it, it was foundational. I think, yeah, like objectively, it, it, I, I don't have any built in nostalgia for this movie. Um, uh, the whole time I, I, I wished I had nostalgia cause it would have brought me in more. I think I, I keep bringing up escape to Witch mountain cause it, the whole time it reminded me of it, but in a way that I was just like, Oh, I wish I was watching escape to Witch mountain. So, so I guess along those lines, I, yeah, because I don't have that nostalgia, I just feel like. I can see these things for what they actually are. <laughs> I don't know. You mean yikes? You, you see them as awesome because that's correct. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yes. Wow. I, that went dark real fast. Lovely. <laughs> you know. You know what I think. I I think that you are coming from a different time. I think that you're coming from a different place when it comes to film uh, consumption, because if you go back and you take a look at even some of the great horror films of the late 70s and the yeah. early 80s, um, you'll find that there are large spaces, um, like um, maybe The Hills Have Eyes, or um, even like, um, uh, what's the one with the pig and the screaming and the guys on the boat? Anyway, that one, uh, with the banjo. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, yes, that one. <laughs> deliverance. <laughs> yes, Deliverance. So there's big spaces. Um, and, and especially since the um, scenery is such a big character, the, the, the woods themselves are a character in this movie. <laughs> there's all this space. There's space for you to feel the oppression of the, of the woods. And I know that you're going to say, because I've seen your list already, so I know what you don't like about this. One, <laughs> of the things, one of the things that you don't like about this is because there's all these weird angles where um, it's being shot through leaves and there's like half covered by woods. That's, th those are purposeful choices. We're supposed to feel that the woods are dangerous. They are oppressive. There's a reason that these, this family comes from the city to the country, which is the danger. Like the woods are a dangerous creature and we have to have s space to feel that it is uncomfortable here, that it is oppressive. So maybe it doesn't work all the time. And especially if someone has, you know, spent a lifetime watching Saw and Exorcist and, you know, all these mile a minute movies. Um, but if you're if you're in the early 80s and you haven't seen a lot of a lot of scary movies and you're, you know, then this is a really great opportunity to feel the space that is necessary for tension. Counterpoint. <laughs> OK, I'm listening. My favorite horror movie is Alien, which is okay, so full great. of space. Yeah, that's great. And that's a great so one. full of, of room to breathe. It literally and... is in space. 
It's true. You're right. <laughs> but but yeah, like like that movie does take its time, like absolutely. And 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 okay, you know, I I will give you that that like some of the time it really is doing a good job of creating these moments that show us the woods becoming more and more oppressive and you know kind of creating this sinister atmosphere. And and I think that some of the time it it does that very successfully when they're outside. There are also a lot of scenes where they're just doing nothing inside for a long time. You're right. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and give that to you. I think that the one that sticks out to me, there is a scene where she is in the house fooling around with a bunch of Betty Davis's stuff. Yeah. Like she's like walking around, like looking in her drawing room. She's kind of wandering around the drawing room. And eventually she happens upon the music box. Right. But that scene, like you said, that scene is a little long it's a little long i also want to point out too that we need to remember that this is a film made for a family audience Mm -hmm. and and nothing nothing makes kids more excited than a boring movie (laughs) than nothing (laughs) happening to be to be fair though think about it nathaniel if you're if you're a child and you go outside what's going to be the scariest thing to you it's it's not going to be ghosts or possession it's going to be what's in the forest wild animals all of this is said in tongue in cheek because I agree with you on yeah, a lot I know of these it's true. things. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I think the acting in this film, other than Betty Davis, it, it can be a little unbearable sometimes. Yeah, it's pretty wooden. Um, a little. Jan or is oh, it Jan? What's her... Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's what you think her name is because she's just like Jan Brady. <laughs> exactly. That is she exactly just... right. She just is a lot. Um, <laughs> the the little weird, the little like relationship that she has with the neighbor is like almost a subplot, but not a yeah. subplot. Yeah, it's like this like, yeah. will they, won't they, but will they not? They're will not they going not? to. Yeah, right. absolutely not. I think what's really interesting. So, so when you were talking, when you were saying that, Nathaniel, when you were saying, oh, it's, it's really slow. What I realized is that you're probably right. You're probably correct in that. The writer, whoever the writer was, and I don't know that information, but um, the writer created a, a screenplay that was so straightforward that um, it it was probably very true to the original story, but um, but there was all this extra space, and I think that the book, this movie, would have benefited greatly from a subplot, and it just didn't have one. There's not a single yeah. subplot, except if you take into consideration the story of the parents. So, you know, the parents who grow have already grown up and they're they were involved in like the seance thing. But even that's not even that's not really a subplot either. It That is the main plot. That's the, yeah. the plot. So it really would have benefited from a subplot. And I wonder if the um, I haven't seen the remake. So I wonder if the remake remedied that because um, I wonder about that. I also have to give credit where credit is due here to Nathaniel. You brought up a good point in our show notes about how. The Watcher in the Woods is a really good, I think, example of a slow burn that mm. fizzles out. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of this occultism, a lot of this kind of mythos that is being built up with the kids and Betty Davis and what's going on and this eclipse and a lot of this very kind of metaphysical kind of atmosphere. And then all of a sudden it's aliens. All of a sudden it's a Watcher. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, boom, sign seal delivered, movie's done. And it, it, I'll, as a critic, again, I have my bifocals on. (laughs) Um, It doesn't breathe. It, Mm -hmm. It needs a chance to kind of explain itself, and it doesn't 
do that at all. It it falls short of executing the the true horror of what happened that first night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and and when it does explain itself, it, it literally just is someone explaining it to you, right? Like, it's just the watcher shows up, explains everything. They switch back, roll credits. Yeah. I mean, good point. Yeah. It it really is. So I I'm gonna I I agree. So here's the thing. Here's what I agree with. I agree that there are elements of the plot that um are incredibly rushed but you have to consider that that is not the original ending for this movie <laughs> fair point no, fair no, point. So that that's something to consider that's the first part not that the original ending is any better it's not <laughs> so that's the, that's the other point um they're they're both they're both bad uh but um and i think that the reason why they're so I think that they're just not very fulfilling. You know what I mean? Like we have wanted, uh, I kind of started off this whole interview talking about how I love when you have something and it becomes something else. And I do, I really love that. But I think that in this case, it actually feels like a punt. Like they, like it really does feel like ghost, 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 different dimension. And um, and you're like, wait, what? Oh, also, there's and, an and eclipse. They're kicking... they're, wait, what? Yeah, and they're and kicking you out monkey... of the theater before you can even like what? properly yeah. question those things. Exactly, exactly. And so you admit you actually have, um, you had stated earlier when we before this, uh, in your notes that um that the eclipse doesn't show up until like the day before it happens, <laughs> and. And this is actually this is just this is just a writing problem. So you have to wonder like what was the problem here that the writer didn't set up that scene effectively? Why was what were things cut? Was it forgotten? Cuz it doesn't seem like Disney would have poured a bunch of money into making a feature film without recognizing that some of the the script just wasn't really working together very well. But it also might have been something that they didn't test. I don't know. I, but, yeah, it is, it is a little weird. There's some weird plot stuff at the very end. It's just really, really rushed. Yeah, well, and, 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 like, having read through the thing about the novel that you know, preceded it, the eclipse is part of it. And so, you know, was it that author just decided that that, that was their solution at the last minute because they didn't know how to end the book? Or, you know, like, it, yeah, it just it feels like a convenient uh, ending as opposed to an earned ending, uh, you know, part of the mystery. The, the mystery was kind of moot, really, the whole time. We we get little pieces of it, and then, oh, it's the eclipse. We better do the ritual again. The more we talk about it and kind of verbalize these ideas, it, it makes me remember a lot of kind of the frustrations I had in the movie Nope, where, you know, we're led to believe one thing, and we were really excited about that one thing. And then all of a sudden, we have to kind of pivot and, like you said, Willow, punt our kind of thinking into something that is completely different from what we were told. And there's power in that. I think horror can do that effectively, but we have to be cautious about how far the punt goes. Are we, are we going from, you know, supernatural to extraterrestrial? Are we going from extraterrestrial to monster movie? Where are the bridges? Where are kind of those subtle signs that the movie has given us to make it make sense? 
Yeah, where's and, the foreshadowing? Uh, yeah, and I right. I do feel like Watcher in the Woods, it did that kind of right turn pivot where we're like, oh wait, this is an alien film, and it kind of leaves you a little jarred and and perhaps unstable. It's true, but but they but. do they do they do try to make it make sense. Uh, like if you look at the actual legit like logic of it, you know. <laughs> It's logically makes sense. There was a, a massive, uh, it was an eclipse, and accidentally at the same time of, as the eclipse, there was these people doing this seance, and because the seance happened at the same time as the mm-hmm. eclipse, it put this girl into. Oh, am I spoiling the movie? Uh, yeah, that's it put fine. this. It put this girl into a different dimension where she stayed locked for seven years until there was another. Uh, eclipse at the exact same place and they were doing the seance at the exact same time and then there was an alien that was uh i don't know watching i don't even remember what the watcher does all i know is that she was trying to get back out oh the watcher was trying to get her out of their dimension because they didn't want her in the dimension that was what was going on and, right? and trying to switch back yeah and they're trying to switch but right because the watcher was a entity that had been kicked out of the dimension when she had gone into the dimension and so he wanted her back in his, her dimension, and he wanted back in his dimension, and the end. Also, it's a Disney film. Right. <laughs> like, we, need, <laughs> we need to hold space. Again, I think I've said it too many times that this film is not designed to be geared towards horror fans. This is something that families can sit together on their family home evenings for my Mormon listeners and watch <laughs> watch together and talk about, you know, those those alien motifs. And we can go on and on about kind of the plot nuances and what worked and what didn't work. But at the end of the day, it's a Disney film. And it can be so, what it is. So what I'm hearing is that it's okay <laughs> if it's full of plot holes and bad storytelling devices if it's, it's Disney. Disney. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Right. Jump. Get on or get out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let, let, let me just bring one more thing to the table because I think <laughs> this is where it, it just doesn't, like, okay, you get to the twist and then you kind of, you know, naturally go, Oh, was this set up? Was this foreshadowed? Like, that's kind of what your brain does, even if you might not be thinking of it in those terms, right? Like, oh, what were the clues to this? Could I have figured this out? Uh, That's the kind of thing that we like to do when we have these kind of weird mysteries that that characters are solving, and then we find out all of the pieces, right? Like, that's that's the, the bread and butter of any mystery in any story. So my question is, okay, a little bit more, uh, framing and then i'll get to my question so shortly before the eclipse happens and and they're able to do the ritual again and all that kind of stuff the watcher entity you know does some some stuff to kind of help shepherd them to make these connections right um to to kind of tie enough stuff together that they know oh no we have to get these people together so we can replicate the ritual and and you know make the swap back mm-hmm. i'm i'm on board with what the watcher's motivations were during that time and and it was very time sensitive it had to do it during the eclipse apparently which again 
they should have hinted at that way earlier and mentioned it maybe when we had the backstory, but that's fine, whatever. My question is, why is it so menacing and threatening up until that point? Like, why is it causing horses to freak out and causing car accidents and almost, you know, getting these kids killed when these kids are going to be the ones that help be its redemption, right? Like, why is it doing that? That is is the thing that kind of bothers me because it feels like for the first two-thirds, three-quarters of the movie, the Watcher's goal is to intimidate and scare them and to potentially put their lives in peril. And then for the last chunk, it's to make the switch back and solve the mystery and hooray, get back to my dimension. Those Those two things are at such intense odds with each other that it feels like, again, a, a fundamental, like, failure of of storytelling it feels like you know the writer had a cool idea and then got a new cool idea and instead of writing a new story about that just mushed them together uh and hoped that no one noticed the very (laughs) obvious seams right like that's that's my problem is really just you know I, I can forgive a lot of things. I'm, you know, like I, I know kind of what I'm getting when it comes to live action 70s Disney movies. Um, I've seen them. And, and there's a lot of charm and, and fun up to them. Um, but yeah, it's just that I, it's really hard to swallow this kind of last pill, right? Like to me, this is almost the same as, as if in uh, it, you know, Pennywise, it was hunting down children, killing children, and at the end it turns out, oh, well, it actually had this noble motivation, and we can just kind of forget about what happened in the first three quarters of the movie. Like, uh, but it, it almost killed them a couple times. <laughs> it threw her in water, and an old lady had to save her, and then later almost caused the uh, little girl to get hit by a, a truck on a horse. I don't, but, you know what? We... I think that that's a good question. All right, that's a great question. And it feels like I I don't have a good solution because I think that's what happened. I think the uh, writer was writing one story and then they were made to write a different story. And I don't really know why. It doesn't fit. Uh, the my only, my it was only the 70s. Thought, Cocaine thought, was a hell of a drug. <laughs> my only thought is this. My only thought is from a directorial perspective. We actually are moving with the children, right? The children is where that's the that's where the story is seen through, mm-hmm. the eyes of the children, and um, it's through the eyes of the children that we are observing the, all of the world. And so, we are scared. We need to be scared by the watcher. We need to be. We need to feel the fear of that because it is an unknown and it is terrifying. But when the children start understanding the the methodology or that something larger is going on or that they can be a part of the solution and that maybe um, doing, you know, being part of the seance and getting people back together again is going to help somebody do something, then it is no longer a threat and so they don't perceive it as a threat and neither do we. So maybe from a directorial standpoint, he wanted us to feel threatened until the shift and then we could understand that we are not in any danger at all. I, I, that, that's, that's my guess, but I totally feel you. I think that there is a problem. It does feel disconnected. And maybe the people who are working on the Watcher in the Woods 
just had so much going on with the fox and the hound <laughs> and Kirby goes bananas <laughs> and the other Disney films that it just didn't meet Nathaniel's expectations. You know what? You just missed out when you were eight and you didn't get to see this movie because your mom didn't let you. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem. You just missed out, man. You're the problem, Nathaniel. (laughs) Ah, I see. I see. So, no, okay. So, but before, before we, before we leave this forever, uh, we do have to talk about the original ending. Yes. Because there is a different ending. And um, that original ending has an alien that is intensely terrifying. It's like this ghostly, uh, like, skeletal figure. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's... Uh, um, I'm, I'm going to try and see if I can find a picture of it. It is I, not pretty. Um, first watcher in the wood end. Yeah, because I thought that it was... I thought it was just a super gross-looking alien. I didn't think it was a ghost. I thought it was a really gross alien. It looks like Mothman almost. Yeah, oh, I love it's Mothman. It's like it's He's got all these. Um, it's really like a Lovecraftian kind of alien monster. It's like and it's I, like Mothman's love child with a xenomorph. Yeah, exactly. Yes, that's what it looks like. I'm into and it. It's, and it's covered in kind of slime, and it's floating, and it's gets really scary. Um, and so I think what happened is they tested the movie in Australia. I don't know. They tested it somewhere and the kids are like, oh, that's too scary. And, um, and then they changed, then they changed the end. And I actually think that there might've been a, there might've been plot, a slight plot modification um, for the original end. I'm looking at pictures right now of this alien. And smash or pass? <laughs> gonna, I'm, I'm gonna smash. Oh yeah! All right. <laughs> we try to not. We, we, we try not to, to judge, but uh, okay, okay. I am judging. So oh, okay, okay. So here here's what it says. It says the Watcher in the Woods had a. Li- this is Wikipedia. I'm, I'll just tell you. It had a limited release at New York Z- City's Ziegfeld Theater in April 1980. It had overwhelmingly negative reaction, and it was pulled after 10 days. And the negative response prompted Disney to reshoot the end. It cost an additional million dollars. And in its place, Disney put out Mary Poppins. So not Herbie Goes Bananas. Not Herbie Goes They put out Mary Poppins <laughs> instead. They're like, oh, you know what? The alien. Let's, we'll give you Mary Poppins. You know, that's yeah. going to be good. That'll A spoonful of sugar. That's right. Mm, How lovely. funny. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, the, the end. Yeah. Very, very interesting. So the, that original, yeah, the original monster was too scary. I feel like we are on the verge of going on circles, Nathaniel. It might, it might be time to kind of wrap this package up and send it on its way. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that's totally fine. I, I was just going to say, from what I can tell, it looks like it mostly served the same function. Like it showed up and then explained everything and then they mm-hmm. swapped places. Yeah. So it doesn't seem like it did anything else that was that sinister. Yeah. It just looked really cool. Yes. Yeah. In, in a way that is very much not a Disney movie. Again, Smash. Smash. And and uh, you know gave gave Max new dream fuel. Um, 
Okay. <laughs> guys, guys, tonight is going to be a dark night for me. So here we go. <laughs> and Let's we all on. know why. We all know why. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's talk about ratings for this movie okay so first let's talk about screams so of course this is on a our, our usual uh zero to ten scale uh, i would give this movie a two uh the the jarring moments um especially some of that imagery uh with with the mirror really stood out to me but other than that uh like i mentioned kind of got a little bored so not mm. that scary I mean, I also gave it a two. Uh, Willow, don't be sad. I hope we can still be friends. <laughs> oh, if it had that original monster, <laughs> I would have given over. it a three. I mean, I, I would have given it another score on a different scale, but we won't go there. Um, <laughs> when I saw it as a kid, it, Betty Davis was the scariest thing for yeah. me. Those piercing eyes that she has really... I don't know. It spoke to me on a different level than the actual mm-hmm. horror of the film. So what say you, Willow? So I think that it is unfair to rate this movie as an adult. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm 100%, I'm 100% on this. I do not think it's fair to rate this film as an adult. I, I, I can concede that. I, think, that. I think that if you're going to be honest with this film, you have to rate this movie as its intended audience, which is as a 10 to 12-year-old child. I, I can and concede that. I appreciate so, you saying that. So as as a 10 to 12-year-old child, I will give this movie a 6 on a scare. All because right. it is not so scary that it is going to give me more than one nightmare. Okay. Now, I do want to follow that up, though, with you as an adult woman, how scary is this movie? Well, it's Hold not on. scary, obviously. It's, Hold it's on. Like, you know, I... Mm, I will it's always like gauge movies one. on how many nightmares they give me. Yes, now. exactly. <laughs> like that's really what it should be. This movie gave me one nightmare, and For then six I was days. O- yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, as as a as a grown woman who has seen lots and lots of scary things, but it's that's not really what this movie is, Nathaniel. So you can't force me to do that. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. Because that, that's right. not what this movie is. Let's let's do crowns, though. Let's see here. Well, I'm going to give it a four because, admittedly, there are things that I quite like in this movie. But, I mean, it, it really couldn't have hurt it to have that original monster. I'm all about this thing. I give it a five. I grew up with this film. It's one of the first horror movies I've watched. Uh, there was this. There was arachnophobia. There oh, was man, unsolved yes. mysteries. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, my um, gosh. Yeah. I, I remember being little in my bottom bunk bed seeing my neighbors drive into their parking lot and were i was convinced it was the watcher who's about to take me or something that i saw in unsolved there is that component of nostalgia nathaniel that i know is perhaps problematic when we review and critique movies hey, that's but fine. it's it's important and i i think it has value when we talk about films in a specific genre like this so hey, hey, i'm gonna give it a five hey if you can speak your truth about you know how how lustful you are towards Ew, the the watcher so weird you're so weird but it's okay i'm not judging you i just you know guys i'm lonely okay <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness okay um so i am gonna give this movie <clears throat> hmm 
I'm gonna go ahead and give it a six. I I feel I feel pretty confident about that. Uh, I think that for what it's trying to do, it does a six out of ten. And uh, if I was ten to twelve, would it hold my attention? Six times out of ten times, yes, it would. I so, like that. I like yeah. that. I am I'm very stingy with my reviews, so I. I appreciate that nuance to your criticism. I just don't I just don't think that you can really like really critique this one unless you're the person who it was meant to be seen by. And um if I had my 12-year-old daughter here, I would ask. But here's what my my 12-year-old daughter said when she saw it. She said, "Wow, that movie was weird and <laughs> creepy and some of it was boring." And that's about a 6 out of 10. Yeah, that's fair. I appreciate that. We'll have to have yeah. her on the podcast next. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. To, to, to review the remake of The Watch. Oh my gosh, yeah. What Directed by should... Melissa Joan Hart. Oh, yes. No, you're lying though, right? No, That's I'm not. That is a real thing. Oh my gosh, did she really? Was... Is she the one who did it? Yeah, she, Clarissa dra- explains oh my gosh, it that's all. Amazing. That's wonderful. Slash Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. Uh, yeah. It was a Lifetime TV show and has Betty, uh, what's her face? Yeah. Uh, replaced by Angelica Houston. Yes, yes, I know. I saw that. And Which, I was it's like, a good casting no. choice, but everything else about this sounds real bad. Yeah, no. The answer is no. They should never remake this. They should never have tried. It is not remakeable. Uh, be it's just not because it was it was a movie that you had to see when you were small and it got a six but don't ever remake it ever no never remake this movie because it it's kind of like it's like princess bride don't touch it it's perfect in its imperfection it's exactly what it was supposed to be it was supposed to be a very slow burn for a very small section of people that happen to be young people who liked horror and it's a small little section of people what is it what's like gravity falls right like the, it, the, it there's a group there's a section of people that we that want to watch horror in when between the ages of six and 12 they're the kids that talk about ghosts at lunchtime and um they sneak into somebody's house and play with a ouija board like that's that's this group of kids and this group of kids isn't huge guys but you and me and nathaniel we we are this this is us. We're yeah. the kids. We're those kids. And what happens is you watch Watcher in the Woods when you're that young and then you grow up and you make better movies. Wow, Willow, way to end it. That was awesome. <laughs> Nathaniel, yes. how are you staying spooky? Uh I am staying spooky uh by reading friend of the show Grady Hendrix's How to Sell oh, a Haunted yeah, House. Ah, nice. Uh, it is so good. I, I mentioned uh, on our last episode that I uh, got to watch his like presentation on how to sell a haunted house. That was a, a full-blown PowerPoint explaining the ins and outs of, of how you could treat that as an asset and use it to make your house even more sellable. It was a delight. Uh, and the book is also a delight, but for different reasons. It's it's a very good blend of creepy spookiness and some, some great moments of humor, too, which is always just what Grady brings to the table. So I highly recommend. I'm not done with it yet, but I am utterly loving it so far. And uh, I have to say, especially if you are uh, skeeved out by puppets, 
this is the book for you. <laughs> puppets, awful. puppets are the worst. Let's be honest. Well, then this book is for you. <laughs> How are you staying spooky? Um, I in two parts. I went and saw the kind of I don't even know what to call it. The phenomena that is Megan. Oh right. It is everything that it promised to be. It is not any sort of pinnacle of horror. <laughs> <laughs> it is quintessential, like, millennial pop horror that oh, everyone... that's hilarious. Everyone not Gen will... Z pop horror? No. I, I don't know. It's like that gray area between Gen Z and millennial. Yeah. Yeah, it is... Funny. It is what it promised it was going to be. It's not good, but it's also phenomenal in its own right. Um, I, I don't know. I'm so conflicted about it because it was not good, but I had a blast. It, it's just stupid. It's so good in its <laughs> stupid little way. Is it like Child's Play? Is it that level? Uh, Child's Play, I would say, is better just because yeah. it has that... Child's Play is very scary in some regards, right? Mm -hmm. you, yeah. you, you have something as a child that you love. You have that stuffed animal. You have that Megazord that you love turn against you. This is more like corporate America turning against children. Oh, weird. Which is, which is just like real life. <laughs> but it's fun. Like, it, it's very camp. And again, it's... It's very much what it said it was going to be, and I was happy with that. Random aside, now I totally want to short, or write a short story about a Megazord haunting a young Max. Um, that would be the pinnacle of my life, and I could die happy if you do that, so please do. The other way I'm staying spooky is I watched... Or I, sorry, I haven't watched. I played a game called The Chant. Um, it is a kind of an indie game based around the idea of a 70s, 80s cult where you join, not because you want to join, but because you have a friend in the cult who kind of persuades you to participate. And it is very kind of Lovecraftian in its approach. It, it talks a lot about grief and trauma and how that is. I don't know, when we talk about the Lovecraftian monsters, they're very esoteric and they're almost related to mental horror mm. you know the the mm -hmm. personification of anxiety of depression of trauma of ptsd and it really tackles that in a very dark and intimate level to the point where i had to stop playing because it was starting to hit me a little too close to home so yeah. if if you want something that really will cause you to cathart mm. and and recognize the Lovecraftian horror in your own life, I, I would recommend mm. it. But be be wary. It, it put me in a pretty negative place, and I had to stop and play, you know, Kingdom Hearts that is fun and Disney and, and just a little silly. So that's that's how I've been staying spooky. What about you, Willow? Oh, man. Um, you kind of covered the gamut. So I'll, I'll start with the game because me and my daughters, I have two daughters. Um, I have a teenager and I have a toddler. And uh, we have been playing house... Um, Betrayal at House. Anyway, yeah, so we've been playing Betrayal at House on the Hill. Do you know that game? Uh, yes, it's my favorite board game in the whole world. Okay, awesome. So we actually have been playing this really weird 
jury-rigged version of this game where we are playing Betrayal at House on the Hill. Also, uh, a game called um, Don't Tell Mom and Dad, which is a role-playing D- kind of a and d style game that was a, it's an independent publisher. It was kickstarted um, like three years ago. Basically, you're a bunch of kids, like it's kind of like Goonies. And then you're <clears throat> traveling around your town and under un- uncovering horrible things. So we're using the two games together to create kind of our own haunted house Goonie style D&D game, which is really, really fun. So that's cool. And then um, as far as film goes, I'm actually going to be shooting a short horror film um, here in about two weeks. I'll be shooting that horror film for um, a film school here at BYU. So I'll be doing that. And I'm, I'm acting in that. I'm not directing that, but I'll be acting in that. So I'm excited about that. And then, uh, of course, for reading, I've been actually, and then uh, I've been reading um, from Buickate. So I'm just starting that. And uh, I haven't read it. (laughs) Someone told me that it was really good, and I had skipped over it because I was like, nah, I've already read Christine. I don't want to read this. But um, whoever told you that lied to you, it is Stephen King's worst. Oh, no. Oh, is it really? I oh, no. hate that book. Oh, I hate really? it so much. I thought okay. it was so boring. Oh, okay. Well, now now I don't know what to do. But, uh, of course, I've also been reading my own book, which is Mother Tales of Love and Terror. We got some massive TikTok love uh, at the beginning of the month. We had like 600,000 people view a review that someone did of the book, which was a lot of review. That's a lot of people looking at a good review. So it was really exciting. And uh, and now it's on this long list for the Stoker Award. So I've been reading my own book because um, I'm making the um, audio book for it. And that audio book should be out at the middle of February. So there'll be an audio version. Noise. Noise. Um, well, all of this is awesome and exciting. Well, um, I mean, that, that kind of wraps up our, our usual discussion points. Where can people uh, find you online? Just... Uh, list off all of the websites mm-hmm. and social media again so that way it's sure yeah you can always find us at weirdlittleworlds.com w-e-i-r-d littlewords.com um, and then we're on twitter at weirdlitworlds uh, we're also on instagram at weirdlitworlds weirdlitworlds um, and then you can find us uh, on facebook weirdlittlewords and uh, pinterest I think we even have a pinterest if you want to see what we're posting the fact is is that we're mostly on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, TikTok at Weird Lit Worlds. So, yeah, come find us. Oh, and on Amazon, obviously. Oh, yeah, so. of course. <laughs> come find some books on Amazon. We've got some really great short fiction. And also my uh, novel, which is pretty great, Leto's Children. And yes, get all of those things. Get all those things. Willow, please don't ever leave this podcast. Oh my gosh, I'll be with you always, 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 always. You've always been here. I've, uh, you're always the podcast guest, Willow. I love it. Yeah, next time you guys watch something awesome, you should invite me over and I'll watch it with you. <laughs> um, I I love to do horror movie nights, so yes! if you're in the area, Willow, your invite is standing. Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. I would love it. I honestly think that you should see Something Wicked This Way Comes if you have an opportunity to. It is so weird. Perfect. Whoa, it's so weird. And with that, all of our listeners, we love you. Go find Willow's 
merchandise. Go buy her book. We love you yes. all. Stay spooky. Stay spooky. Stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Scream Kings. Stay spooky.